Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Well, Bibi Fahodier, the day's date is September 13th, 6261. And I would like to uh, start by articulating or paraphrasing one of the more poignant uh, journalist observers from the black left, that's brother Glenn Ford, who writes that movement politics is how people flex their power. Electoral politics is under the domain of corporate interests. Movement politics in the past, we're talking about the 60s, was crushed by a combination of lethal force and political uh, action, a national policy that resulted in mass incarceration. This mass incarceration attempt of the black man in particular was supported by both parties. The Democratic Party opened its doors to a hungry cohort of black politicians who preached that the movement must shift gears from the streets to the suites. Thus, we have the beginnings of the black misleadership class who have been just as debilitating as the white misleadership class. The Democratic Party succeeded in subverting virtually every black civic organization in black America. Black politicians consistently acted against the interest of their constituents in the destruction of, number one, public housing, the gentrification of black neighborhoods. Statistically speaking, 80% of the CBC voted for a bill that would have halted the Pentagon's infamous 1033 program to militarize the police. We've discussed this any number of times here on the African Liberation Media. In 2018, recently, 75% supported a bill that makes police protection a... Well, let me digress for a second. This bill makes police a protected class and any assault against police becomes a hate crime. Suffice it to say, what can be done in order to receive some type of retribution in the wake of police abuse? Obviously, you have to be a white child or a white man or a white woman. This is African Liberation Media. I'm here with brothers Amos and brother Macaroo. Gentlemen, take it wherever you want to take it. Uh, B.B. Fodier, uh, glad to have you back uh, with us, uh, Gullah Jack. Um, just want to pass on some news that uh, came across uh, this week. Brother Hashem and Zinger, who's the national chairman of the uh, New Black Panther Party, has uh, transitioned uh, to the spiritual world. Uh, apparently, he had been in a long battle with cancer. One source said it was colon cancer, which, um, as we know, just took out the young Chadwick Bozeman. Brother uh, and Zinger was born in 1962, so he was a young man by by the day's, uh, you know, standards of longevity. And, you know, he followed in the uh, footsteps of uh, the warrior Khalid Abdul Muhammad, uh, you know, with the New Black Panther Party organization. And um, he uh, transitioned to the spiritual world. I think it was on September the 9th. So we just want to um, raise up the brother's name and keep the brother's uh, family and his organization, uh, you know, in our thoughts, um, they have a lot of strong, strong warriors. Um, I was talking to one of their uh, uh, members uh, 
the other week uh, when they they were having a Save Our Children uh, little demonstration here on the corner of West Boulevard and Remount Road in Charlotte. And Brother uh, Elliot Face Vincent uh, was telling me that he was in the uh, North Carolina chapter of the New Black Panther Party and actually was on his uh, Facebook page that I found out about the brother uh, in Zynga transitioning. So we just want to to mention that. And once again, uh, we just have to uh, take advantage of, of every moment uh, that we have on this planet to make a contribution uh, to the struggle for the liberation and empowerment of African people. So that's that's all I got for my opening. Go ahead, Brother Almost. I say, uh, I appreciate you for pointing that out and speaking those strong words about that brother who was a very, very strong warrior and uh, um, just I just always saw, you know, positive things uh, coming from him, a brother who cared about the black race and who wanted to achieve black power. And even though I never personally knew Brother Zynga, uh, just from afar, I would consider him a, consider him a uh, comrade and someone who would make me want to continue to fight even harder to one day li- witness liberation war for our people. Anytime you have a strong warrior that falls uh, in the struggle, um, I think that as fellow warriors, it makes us all think about what we need to continue to do and do better and uh, definitely you know send a positive energy to his family and like you said we continue to raise his name up and make sure that his name continues to live on yeah one of the things that uh, brother Kwame Ture, a.k.a. Stokely Carmichael, used to talk about was the necessity of institutionalizing uh, through organizations. He was a firm advocate of the fact that organizations continue your work. One of the weaknesses of our movement, uh, he said quite often, was that we were excellent in terms of mobilizing, but in terms of organizing of course that was uh, one of the things that impeded our progress uh, listen to brother Glenn Ford the other night he talked about mass mobilization during his youth in Jersey City and the fact that when the Panthers came to Jersey City over 600 brothers and sisters from Jersey City rushed to join. Mm-hmm. But as, as we have also mentioned on this program, an organization that expands so rapidly inevitably will be uh, will attract uh, agent provocateurs. Uh, no real way really to screen um, you know, the potential members and the size of this organization, the way it expanded quickly, exponentially, was a good thing, but at the same time, a bad thing. So what do we do? Uh, I also found interesting um, earlier this week um, where we had a situation where 130 miles south of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, a group of about nine people, specifically Renee Walters, was one of several black people who bought land and are calling this Freedom Georgia. And of course, along with this acquisition of land, they plan on producing uh, agriculture, commercial ventures, lakes, motivated by the ongoing murder of black men in particular, at least that's what they said on CNN of all places. um, they were given some airtime. Um, I just found that to be a very interesting move. Um, I mean, we talk about it forever, but nobody's ever really made a move to 
you know, separate ourselves and create a new reality, suffice it to say, this also would have to be an area that we would defend, uh, given the propensity of white supremacists to encroach on whatever projects that we develop, be it Tulsa, they have not changed. What have we learned from Tulsa, Rosewood, Elaine, Arkansas, etc.? Yeah, Kwame Ture always talked about uh, seize, hold, develop. So, you know, when we are able, in, in this case, they are, you know, they are purchasing, purchasing land. We have to be able to hold it and and develop it, and you know that 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 is going to you know require uh, a massive effort beyond you know just the uh, the the nine families. I'm sure it will attract uh, you know a lot of um, support from people who are just tired of you know what's taking place you know in in this society and. You know, separation is not not running away from a problem. Separation is actually an affirmative. Uh, the, our history shows that when the uh, 20 uh, black leaders met with uh, General Sherman, a- after Sherman had, uh, had, had blazed his way through Georgia and wound up in uh, Savannah in... I think it might have been December of 1864, January of 1865. As as Sherman as Sherman marched through Georgia, his famous march to the sea, he picked up a trail of Africans who liberated themselves, you know, from plantations. They simply ran away and, you know, followed. Sherman's army and of course Sherman's army uh, some of the generals and commanders were white supremacists and they would build these uh, I guess what you might call pontoon bridges to get across some of the rivers and once all of the Union soldiers were across they would pull the bridges up and leave the Africans stranded but our people being uh, always uh, creative and finding finding ways to survive were, were able to uh, a lot of times ford these rivers and creeks and, and continue to trudge on you know behind Sherman and Sherman considered this to be a drag on his on his army because his plans were uh, you know as Grant was fighting Lee in uh, in Virginia his, uh, Sherman's uh, orders were to, to uh, blaze his way through the Carolinas and, and the two armies were, were supposed to meet, you know, and you, and you would see, you, you, you've seen these tactics repeatedly in, in a lot of wars, you know, uh, the Germans, pincer uh, tactics and whatnot. So, uh, so they had a meeting because Sherman said, we, got, we, we have to do something. And uh, Lincoln sent that set down the uh, I think it was the secretary of war, uh, Edwin Stanton. And they, they, they called 20 black leaders together and a brother by the name of Garrison Frazier, who was the youngest of the 20 leaders, was selected to speak. And when they asked him, you know, what do you want? He said, we want our own land. We want uh, black soldiers to protect us. We want equipment so that we can till the land. And, uh, you know, we want to, to be able to to farm and, 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 and become a self-determining people. So they proceeded to ask them a series of questions. And one of the questions they asked them, they asked them a lot of questions. What, you know, how do you define slavery? And, and these brothers, they were so articulate, man, in terms of their, they, they had a very clear understanding of, of what it meant, you know, to be liberated and empowered. But one of the questions they asked was, if you had a choice, would you prefer to live among white people or among yourselves? And so Garrison Frazier's reply was, I can't speak for the others, but if it was me, we want to be able to live among ourselves. We want to be able to own our own land, produce our own crops, build our own homes, our own schools, and we want 
uh, you know, our men who are now fighting to be able to to be armed and to protect us. And so when they polled the 20 brothers, 19 of the 20, 19 of the 20 agreed with Garrison Frazier. And so, what, you know, one of the one of the things that that people have to, you know, make a distinction between seg- segregation and, and separation. Right. Segregation is something that is imposed upon you. Separation, you know, is a choice. And so this is the kind of effort that 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 could be, you know, underway down. Uh, you say it's 120 miles south of Atlanta. Did you say? Uh, yes. Uh, the specific area. Uh, they didn't identify. In fact, I saw this brother on CNN. I'm thinking perhaps Noonan, Georgia, of uh, maybe as far down south as Dawson, Georgia. But uh, plans are on the way. You know, they're concretizing the word into something uh, tangible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wish them all the best. It's something that I would definitely, you know, I kid you not, be interested in. Um, yeah, I'm thinking 120 miles. I mean, that's getting pretty close to Alabama. If you're going south uh, and, co- not, and not just directly uh, west, uh, you know, you would have to go west because you're right. You're almost in the Phoenix City, yeah, in exactly. Columbus, in Columbus. Yeah, yeah, yeah Columbia. Yeah, you know that area down there. So anyway, I mean, but but the but the point is, point I was making here is that, um, you know, historically, you know, before we we got hit with this uh, this notion of integration and assimilation, uh, you know, a lot of our people were very clear. <laughs> You know, we don't want to live among these people, man, you know, because we've seen what they've done. We, You know, I mean, you know, Garrison Frazier is talking about this in January. They had the meeting in January of 1865. And he said, we're looking at this, this entire history, you know, since 1619. We've seen, you know, what you have done. So uh, and, you know, that that uh, led Sherman to issue his uh, famous field orders number 15 which uh, gave the uh, sea islands, the land on the, the sea islands along the coast of Georgia and South Carolina, which had been abandoned by the Confederates because they knew Sherman was coming and they knew what was going to happen. And uh, and that they would uh, everybody would be uh, the land would be divided up into a 40 acre plots, uh, which is a considerable amount of land uh, when you think about it. And particularly if you work in communally, uh, and uh, 40 acres and a mule. That's where the term came from. Sherman's uh, field order, field order number no, number 15. Of course, we know the history when Andrew Johnson overturned it and all that kind of stuff. But nevertheless, we're talking here about a a philosophical uh, worldview. You know how 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 do you deal with this problem? And of course, that's that's one. And of course. Uh, you know, others. Uh, you know, a lot of people now. We 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 we're seeing a a, a wave of uh, repatriation. People returning, you know, to the African continent. Uh, we hope it's not a bunch of Negroes <laughs> taking their attitudes from here or there. But you know, we'll we'll see. But uh, you know, I look I, I look at that with with hope. I look at that with hope that uh, you know something positive can happen. Uh, one final comment. Uh before I lose my train of thought, one of the things I was impressed with, with uh, Brother Baruti, uh, one of his documents was he mentions the fact that one of the first things that he would uh, try to construct if we got reparations was a clinic to assess the correctability of Africans given the damage that has been done to us psychologically. Uh, and that would be the basis for repatriation or separation because we would not want, you know, to encounter a replica in blackface of the same type of sickness that we're trying to escape from. Well, yeah. And, you know, Bobby Wright was doing that kind of work. You know, Bobby Wright was doing that kind of work, you know, in Chicago. And, you know, Fred Hampton came under Bobby's tutelage. Uh, so, I mean, that's... Uh, that's that that type of clinical work. So, same with Dr. Francis Cress Wilson is very, 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 very critical because is um, 
as uh, Sister Joy DeGruy says, I mean, you know, we're suffering from, you know, post-traumatic slave syndrome. And, you know, it, it affects all of us in, in, in some ways or another. But, uh, you know, many of us have been able to, you know, combat that by, you know, increasing our knowledge of history and our levels of consciousness to go along with activism because you have to be engaged in uh, some positive activities. And, you know, I was week before last, I was able to uh, once again, you know, help the uh, male's place plant um, uh, their community garden. Uh, Shay. Yeah, which we started in uh, in 2009. So this is, uh, you know, the 11th year that uh, that that garden has been in place, uh, producing food primarily for the families of uh, the young uh, warriors and the others in the program. Um, you know, their skills being learned and the number one skill is that, you know, you can you can contribute to being able to feed your family and depending on your diet, you could totally feed it really depending on depending on your diet. But it's um, it was another you know positive experience being out there with all of the, uh, you know, brother Reggie Singleton and all of the uh, the, the brothers, the, the, the uh, warriors and the advisors whom what, what they call the Mashari a uh, key Swahili term. So, you know, that was a that was a positive event. I had a opportunity to participate in uh, last week. You can go ahead, Brother Amos. Um, no, I think that you, both of you guys made some good points um, in regards to the reparations. I always wonder if African countries will also contribute towards the reparations for African people in the uh in the diaspora brother quasi he made a good point last week when he talked about the families on the continent also being ripped apart and how those people our kinfolk there family members there uh suffered the same way in many cases from that separation as we did through that separation process um so for the participants who did participate in this great disaster that we call the Ma'afa I also feel as though there should be some sense of reparations that should be attributed from them to the people who have been affected by this by this uh, this great disaster yes sir I gotta throw him a my spiritual uncle, once again, Brother Amos Wilson, helped me as much as anybody, you know, and that includes Malcolm and Brother Martin and Brother Kwame. Of course, Amos was granted a few more years, and he talked about uh, the development of males in particular. And he wrote, one of the mantras should be, I will not eat the food offered from the women or the children until I'm first able to feed the women and children myself. This was synonymous with the, um, the idea that a young warrior uh, should go out and perhaps hypothetically procure food, be it killing an oxen or whatever, but he thought this was critical in, in the transformation of a young man from being a sucker of milk to a producer. Uh, I just found that uh, very interesting. Um, I, you know, we got brothers, we got brothers, man, whose phone is in the dead gum baby's name and uh, cars in the mother's name uh, as a result of this brother almost you alluded to this carnage which manifests itself in uh, so many ways <clears throat> clearly one of the projects that uh, has to be undertaken if we were to achieve this separation I am fairly con uh, uh, firmly convinced now more than ever I've always been convinced that a multiracial democracy is a joke a pipe dream and uh, Pulitzer Prize winner Chris Hedges in talking about the control that the corporate state 
has on the duopoly, the Republicrat system, that they're not interested in self-determination, they're not interested in equity, they're not interested in reforming the police. The only thing the corporate state is interested in, to use his word, I love it, is the primacy of profit. So we only have one choice in November, and whether it's Trump or whether this guy Biden, the psychopathic oligarchs will be the winner. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest effects, negative effects on African people from the Ma'afa is the mentality of things being okay if we just get by. Mm. And I think that that came from being under pressure for so long, you develop a mindset, a mindset of surviving with the bare minimum and that's going to be an educational process that's going to take place over many many years for us to get that mentality out of our minds and really think back to our ancestors thought which was to strive for perfection to not settle for the bare minimum and I think that when we accept things that are given to us into even in today's times through the expectations of voting for a particular party whether that be the democratic party or the republican party and we look at the candidates that are on the board oftentimes we choose a candidate based on what we call the lesser of the two evil the two evils or in my in, in my words i would say accepting what we would consider to be the bare minimum so that we can continue to get by instead of saying that we don't need to settle for either one of these candidates let's strive for liberation and empowerment which would put us above the bare minimum so that we could start to be a whole people again so i think that that's going to be an educational process with our children that's going to have to take place and then they'll grow into adults with a more powerful mindset a more powerful mindset of being a winner in this world and not being a race of people that are satisfied with just getting by. Right. Brother Macaro always says free, proud, and productive vis-a-vis just getting by. I mean, the bar is incredibly low. Right. It's like it's almost as if we see a successful black business a a successful black owned business it's almost like we take a deep breath uh in in uh some type of disbelief that this is a black owned business or some type of shock not expecting Mm. each other to be great Mm. you know and that's that's one of the things that we no matter where we are in the world that's one of the things that we have to change we have to start expecting greatness and yes, in sir. order to be great, it's, it's, it's just like playing any sport or, or playing in any type of competition. To be a winner and to win, you got to think first think that you can win. If you don't even have that confidence, then there's no need for you to even step on the battlefield. Exactly. You know, exactly. And it's, it's just the it's just the long 500 plus years of powerlessness right i mean african people we were taken you know out of out of our historical development i mean obviously you know everything on the african continent wasn't at a at a operating at a very high level of power but people were operating in a self-determining capacity, capacity, free, proud, and productive. And, and our history shows from the Nile Valley civilizations forward that African people had a tendency to form large nation states, uh, the empires of uh, the Western Sudan, which followed uh, the Nile Valley civilizations. You saw one after the other, Ghana, Mali, Songhai, and there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, that, trend you know that pattern paradigm would have continued 
uh, had not the uh, Europeans, uh, particularly the, the Arabs, were obviously having uh, impact, you know, in North Africa. But but I think that from from the Sahel on down, I think we would have continued to see this this type of development, and we were taken out of that development and rendered into you know a state of powerlessness. And the only the only thing that that can cure this would be the liberation and empowerment of African women, African men, and African children to be returned, you know, to our former state. But we we're going to have to engage in a massive struggle, war, mm-hmm. in order to achieve that. Right. I think you, one of go ahead, bro. No, I was going to say uh, earlier. Jack talked about. Uh, uh, Baba Baruti in his speaking about the re-education process or the healing centers for the trauma that black people experience and like you just said I think the first step to healing from that trauma is removing yourself away from the people who cause you the trauma I think that as long as you're in the midst of the European power structure and you're under that system you're going to continue to face daily trauma which will then act act almost as uh, a negative force against any type of uh, self-healing or education that you try to achieve you're constantly in a state of trauma I think we have to we have to be able to defeat them and then set up a system where we can then control our own uh, structure our own right. power structure a and, new system yeah and defeating and defeating them is going to require a massive struggle against neocolonialism on the African continent I mean that's right with without without I mean as long as Africom can operate in 20 30 African countries then you don't you, you don't have you don't necessarily have the the daily terror uh, that 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 many people experience here daily stress, but you're still under the global system of white supremacy in one way or another because we have all they have a comp, a comprador class that's that's doing the uh, the work for them keeping our people oppressed and exploited. One of the things that that I've been looking at. Uh, you know, within the context of you know this election, you know that is that is that is taking place, is how how this the the protests that have emerged since May 26 with the public lynching of George Floyd in Minneapolis has been predominantly white, and I, I found this very interesting. Uh, uh, this week, and posted a uh, a piece titled "Why Are Rich White Folks Rioting?" I'm just going to read a few excerpts from this article. I think it was published by the very conservative New York Post. The the seven ads, including wealthy white uh, East Sider Clara Kraber, had their mugshots tweeted out by NYPD early Wednesday, days after their arrest for smashing storefront storefront windows in the Flatiron District. They were cuffed during protests organized by the Panthers and the revolutionary abolitionist movement groups condemning the death of Daniel Prude, who was killed while in custody in Rochester in March. This is, this is the brother that uh, uh, was having some you know, mental issues and he was uh, naked and in the streets and you know the police put a bag over his head and you know, he eventually, he, he died. They've have, have been having protests in Rochester, New York, uh, as a result of that. Aside from Kraber, the redhead daughter of an architect and child psychiatrist with a second home in Connecticut, five of the others arrested appear to also come from privileged backgrounds, leading one police source to call their actions the height of hypocrisy. And so, you know, one of the one of the things that has not been talked, you know, it has gotten some attention with the uh, killing of, uh, you know, the two white men in uh, Kenosha 
Wisconsin and with the killing of the Trump supporter in uh, Portland, Oregon, most of the violence that has taken place has been white on white. Some of the violence has actually been carried out by uh, infiltrators, white supremacists uh, trying to, uh, say, break out a store window or liquor store and then stand back and take pictures, you know, when black people, you know, run in to get a fifth of Jack Daniels or whatever. Uh, so, I mean, so you, you, you have, there are so many elements in in this as as opposed to, you know, when I was in the streets after Dr. King was killed, I didn't have to worry about looking around. I mean, we knew that there was some agent provocateurs here or there, but I mean, uh, you know, this is this is incredible. But but what I'm what I'm what what I'm driving at here is this. Uh, there was a report released this week that said that the attorney general of Kentucky, a Negro by the name of Daniel Cameron, Cameron, who uh, uh, just happens to be married to a European uh, and who spoke at the Republican National Convention, a diehard Trump supporter, uh, is supposedly taking the Breonna Taylor case to a grand jury in Louisville. And it raises a lot of questions in my mind because it's it's said in the legal world that that a prosecutor can sandwich. That's how easy it is to get an indictment if they really want one. But they can also present cases that are so weak or that are even favorable to the person who has been indicted, as was the case with... uh, uh, Darren Wilson, you know, in Ferguson, uh, that you don't even get an indictment. And so what we have to wonder in this case is how strong a case will Daniel Cameron present? What would be his political motivations? Now, we know this. Gullah Jack and I both experienced the Richard Nixon, Spiro Agnew campaign of law and order. Trump is modeling his campaign on Nixon Agnew. He wants to see unrest in the streets. Now, I don't, you know, I don't think he wants to see what happened uh, last night in Los Angeles. Where two someone, cops got killed. Yeah, two deputies got, well, I don't know if they've passed away or not, but they were in critical condition. Someone walked up to them. They said a dark-skinned person, but we've seen these masks, right? So it doesn't mean that it was a person of African descent, or it may have been, you know, a Malik Johnson or whatever. And if it was, it it shouldn't surprise anybody, you know, given given the massive amount of, you know, given the large number of deaths of innocent people that have that have that have taken place um it shouldn't surprise anybody the only thing that bothers me is that they never seem to target the actual perpetrators <laughs> perpetrators uh, always seem to get away but then you know somebody just happens to be in uniform uh who may be a white supremacist or may not be but you know that just goes along with the territory um but my, the point the point here is that Trump believes that this unrest is beneficial to his campaign. Will Daniel Cameron present a case that causes these officers, the four officers in Louisville, I I, I don't know what that noise is. I hear some noise. Uh, uh, Here, the four officers will not be indicted I believe if those officers are not indicted, we're not even talking about, you know, a, a trial, you know, where they might be exonerated. I'm just talking about being indicted. I think the emotions are so high surrounding Breonna Taylor because no matter what happens, you know, you know, so, sometimes it's hard for a lot of our people to separate uh uh, a particular person's character from, you know, the transgression against them. Okay, you can say Jacob Blake should not have been where he was. His uh, 
the mother of his children had a restraining order against him. His being there was not a capital crime or a crime that, that should have resulted in him, you know, being paralyzed. But a lot of our people can't separate that, okay? Brianna Taylor is somebody that everybody can identify with, okay? And so I believe that if the officers are not indicted, I believe that the that the the outrage from uh, Brianna Taylor's the possible uh, uh, failure to indict or exoneration of those officers will result in something that could rival the explosion after uh, Dr. King was killed April 4th, 1968. And the reason why I say that is because black people really haven't been in the streets in the numbers that white people have. But I think Brianna Taylor will drive a lot of us into the streets with uncontrollable rage. Is this what Donald Trump wants? And this is what he will, you know, have his, uh, you know, little flunky down there in in Kentucky do in 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 order, you know, to uh, enhance his uh, uh, electoral possibilities. You know, I don't know, but but I but but I just believe that 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 case could be the tipping point, and how. You know how we are prepared to deal with the repercussions of that because you see they have been holding back. Look, man, <laughs> there have been there. There was a situation. I think it was in Portland, and I think another situation might have been in Denver somewhere, where people were actually setting a fire to a police precinct and trying to block the officers, keep the officers from being able to escape the building while they set it on fire. Now, all of these were white protesters. No shots fired. If there had been a group of black people out there doing that, it would have been a massacre. And, you know, unless somebody, unless somebody had some snipers positioned, you know, when they, when they came out. But, I mean, I'm just saying, they have been holding back. But as soon as we explode, you will see the hammer they will drop the hammer. There's, a, that, there's absolutely no question about that. And I don't know to what extent people uh, are prepared, but, uh, but at the same time, this is the case that, in my opinion, that the rage is just is, is, is ready to explode. I'm telling you, in the, in the Breonna Taylor case, the rage is ready to explode. And, you know, we, uh, we, we'll just see. Now, it, it, it depends, you know. Trump may tell him, look, let's go ahead and get the indictment and we'll, you know, just delay the case as long as possible and, you know, and see and see what happens. Uh, but if he's desperate, you know, he we know we know that he wants uh, unrest. He sees it as beneficial to him, the same as Nixon and Agnew did. So, I mean, that, that's one thing. That's one thing that I've been thinking about with this uh, with the Breonna Taylor case and, uh, you know, Particularly with, you know, what uh, the information that you gave me this morning, Jack, about uh, these uh, right wing extremists or, you know, neo-Nazis and militias saying that <laughs> whether Trump wins or whether Trump loses, they they're going to cut loose. At, right after the election. So yes, I mean, these are all things for us to uh, to to consider. But, you know, I know that people's emotions are very high about Breonna Taylor. I know that for a fact. It's yeah. chilling, brother, what you just offered, to I think, say the least. I think, the, I think more than Donald Trump, I think the deep state really wants unrest and anarchy. The deep state? Okay. Yeah, I think that they, I think that they advertise a lot of this to bring out that emotion in people. Um, I think uh, Donald Trump really is trying to uh, recover from this COVID coronavirus uh, effect on the economy. And right now, according to the most accurate poll, 
which is the IBD poll, Investors Business Daily, Biden is leading Trump 49 to 41%. Uh, so that's a lot of ground to make up before November. And that poll has been the most accurate poll, I think, since 19, since the 1980s, I believe, or at least with the last four presidential elections, I, I should say. Uh, I think Donald Trump is pushing this this law and order. He's trying to speak to his constituency, and he doesn't have much rope left because of the people uh, blaming him for the pandemic, which, to be quite honest, was a manipulated move by the deep state uh, to destroy not only this economy, but globally, the world. Uh, I guess you would call it faith in the world economy so that they can pass all of these different laws and constituencies with these vaccinations and these things that they want to get as far as putting the world on one vaccination system. Uh, I think that if Trump is having this guy push for the case to be taken so that they can bring some charges, it's probably him trying to limit the the riots and stuff in the streets so they could take the attention off of him and then he could focus that attention back on Joe Biden. But as long as they could push the racial issue in the media, I think that's the last thing that Trump wants because he knows that that's going to help them in pushing a narrative to get him out of there. Mm. Well, that's that's a, that's that's a different twist on it. Um, um, you know, from what I've to the extent that I've paid attention to what they're doing. I mean, what um, what does what does the deep state see as a benefit from uh, you know, civic or social unrest. Well, I think it's a, a lot that they see. Um, when you have a situation where you have that type of civic and social unrest and you promote it as racial tension, then the obvious focus is that it's being caused because of the leadership that's in office now. Whereas this same type of civil unrest happens no matter who the president is of the United States, because it's really based off of how this capitalistic system is set up and how this police system is set up for police officers to get off. The more civil unrest that they can cause, especially at this time during the election, then they can continue to push the Black Lives Matter narrative. They can continue to push the, uh, the hatred narrative uh, with this current administration and they can continue to on the mainstream media outlets like the news channels and things like that promote the fact that things would be better if Donald Trump was not in office like I saw uh, one broadcast where they were saying that if Donald Trump loses that he's not going to leave the White House and the military is basically going to have to uh, force him out of there almost like a military coup, even though it wouldn't technically be a coup because he would technically have lost the election. But they're promoting these ideas, uh, just like the defund the police. The deep state wants anarchy because in, in anarchy, there's more confusion and then there's less people focusing on the real issues, which are the issues that they want to suppress so that they can push their agenda. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is that the, the, the Trump campaign uh, is is using the the chaos or the, the unrest to uh, to attack, you know, his rival, you know, the Biden campaign, uh, because he's 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 tying it to, uh, you know, the cities that that have a Democrat uh, mayors or states that have Democrat governors and he's 
you know, saying to his base and, you know, those who may be independent that, uh, you know, this is what this is what you can expect to continue to happen under, you know, a, a Biden presidency. You know, this this lawlessness in the streets, you know, and that's, and, and, and and that's that, exactly that's basically the same tactic that. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Like, if you look at the areas where this stuff is happening, you know, it's it's areas like you said, I mean. One thing I'll say about Donald Trump is Donald Trump is a dancing white boy. You say something in the mainstream media, he'll go on Twitter and he'll tweet something to contradict it or to go against it. He's always dancing on his feet trying to, it's just like in, in, in the uh, the interview that he had uh, earlier back in March, I think it was March or April, he was talking about the coronavirus pandemic. And he mentioned on the stage at that press conference the deep state you've never heard any president talk about the deep state so it's almost like he's putting these things out there for people who can catch on to it and see through uh what they're doing he's putting it out there for for people to be able to put these things together so for him to come out and say you know where in these, in these states where you have these Democrats, you know, they are weak and they're, you know, allowing this civil unrest to go on, we have to ask yourself the question, why is it that they're allowing this to happen? They're pushing the anarchy because they know that it raises the tension to make him look bad. So yeah, he flips, he, and, it, he and flips he's, it by and saying he's saying that, that it makes them look bad. Yeah, he's flipping you know, it on them saying that this is what you expect. So he sees it as... <laughs> So, so what what you're saying is that uh, you know the deep state, who, whoever the deep state wants uh, wants elected, and Donald Trump are basically saying the same thing because both of them see benefits. You know, Trump sees the unrest as a distraction, you know, from his his failure to act uh, on on the uh, on the outbreak of, of of the virus of the pandemic, COVID nineteen, because. You know, wherever it started, however it started, however it got here, whatever, uh, his handling of the uh, of the of the epidemic has just been, you know, crass ineptitude and colossal ar- arrogance. I, I I don't I don't see any way I don't see any other way, you know, to describe it. I mean, you know, considering the way, you know, uh, a lot of other countries have, you know, were, were very proactive in moving. To respond, and so what the unrest has done is it it you know it 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 has been a distraction, you know, from his failure. I mean, I you know I think he, I think he sees it as as a benefit, uh, you know, to his to his campaign. Uh, now I know one idea that he floated the other day that could probably get him some votes. He's talking about shifting some monies around to uh, you know send people a stimulus check. Because, you know, Nancy Pelosi and uh, uh, Mitch McConnell, you know, are just, you know, at uh, loggerheads and no and, and no one is wanting no one is wanting to move. But in terms of, you know, I, I mean, I'll, ha- I'll have to I'll have to dig deeper into what you're saying there, you know, about 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 the deep state wanting wanting unrest, because if they do, it seems that they want the same thing that uh, that, that Donald Trump wants. Uh, I guess for different reasons. I guess what you're saying is the deep stunk deep state wants Biden elected. Is is that what you're saying? Oh, for sure. The deep state they definitely want Joe Biden elected. They want a Hillary Clinton elected because what they're pushing is is um, is globalism. That's the deep state. The deep state agenda is globalism. Then you have these guys who are white nationalists like Donald Trump and Putin who are actively fighting against these type of people even within their own respective countries Mm. donald trump you have a white nationalist he's trying to restore the the white power structure in america and you have the deep state who was trying to take this capitalistic system of control worldwide uh which really focuses on two things depopulation specifically of the African continent and 
global sex trafficking. Well, one thing Biden was pushing early in the year when I was in Pennsylvania was this Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership. And in the minds of many, this is naphthone steroids. I can clearly see how Trump would use this to demonize what people refer to as the communist left. Everybody who's demonized is from the left. King was from the left. Even referred to Joe Biden, of all people, a warmonger and a war criminal, as a leftist anarchist. Mm-hmm. And you hear it quite often, you know, the left is trying to do this. The left is breeding anarchy in our cities. The weak Democratic mayors and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, last time we talked on this show, you know, one of the things they argue over, uh, Macaroon, I think you mentioned this, is how to manage empire. You know, that would be a, a key component in terms of the deep state being anti-Trump. Yeah, I don't know what his motivation is, but clearly detente with Russia is not consistent with the deep state agenda or the military industrial complex agenda or the uh, uh, de-emphasizing NATO clearly would not be part of of uh, their agenda. Uh, you know, this Trump <laughs> consistent with uh, Dr. King's talk about this guy uh, T.S. Eliot. Um, I'm trying to pull out the quote that King was so famous for making. There's no greater heresy than to do the right thing for the wrong reason. Mm. You know, so uh, it goes back to what you were saying, Brother Amos, uh, and what Chris Hedges has been saying. That gum difference between Satan and Lucifer, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're in, a live, we're in a live civil war that's happening, and it's on the brim of becoming physical which is what, like you just said, Baba Makaru with the white nationalists are saying, no matter who wins, they have an agenda that they're going to carry out. I would not be surprised if the day of Joe Biden's uh, inauguration, if Joe Biden wins, uh, if he were to win, I wouldn't be surprised if more than 20,000 white, white militia or white men embarked on Capitol Hill with their guns in their hands. I would not be surprised if that took place. And I, I don't even know. I don't know if we have enough <laughs> enough uh, National Guard or military that would be willing to pull their own guns on their white brothers and sisters. One and the same in many instances. Yeah, I mean, you you know, it's uh, you know, it you know, it goes back to the Civil War. You know, it goes back to the Civil War. I mean, that was that was one of the things that, uh, you know, Jefferson Davis and, you know, Robert E. Lee and company were banking on. And they're setting it up like with this mail-in ballot, with all the things that they're doing around the election. They're making it skeptical in the minds of a lot of people already. So no matter who the winner is on both sides, they're going to be people who are going to want to challenge that decision. And from the white nationalist standpoint, they'll probably challenge it a lot more violently than, at least openly violently, than the deep state side or the liberal side. You know, what what I'm looking at is that, uh, you know, there is this notion out there, this simmering, you know, civil war. And I don't, the deep state, the neoliberals, the neocons, Trump, whatever he he is, can be classified as. None of them want that. They don't, you know, they don't they don't want a recapitulation of, you know, eighteen sixty one to eighteen sixty five. Okay, they don't want that. So yeah, because this time it would be the fall of America. Yeah, they don't. I mean, they don't. They don't. They don't want that. So that's why I'm saying. You know, this Breonna Taylor thing would, if if black people rebel the way I think they will, would focus the attention on us and killing us 
obviously has been something that <laughs> whereas the liberals or whoever may give some you know lip service to basically nobody has a problem with it well you see you know they went out they went out look at all this property they destroying when these white people have been destroying property you know these these rich white people are destroying white property it's it's quite amazing but you know when when the real as they say horse manure hits the fan mm-hmm. how many of these people are going to be out there on the front lines uh taking bullets as as hockey Matabuti said how many how many of them are going to be out there taking bullets you know because they want they they haven't been shooting at these white people that's been burning down police stations think about that mm-hmm. they stand think back about and watch. that they stand back and watch they 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 have not been shooting white people who are trying to burn down police stations trying to trap the police in the stations and you they can't, haven't been you can't doing expect it. them to that's and that's why i said what i said earlier when the white man come up on capitol hill with their guns how many people in the military whether that be national guard or whoever they have to call how many of them are going to be willing to shoot back yeah and like i said that was see uh jefferson davis and robert e lee alexander stevenson uh, judah benjamin all these guys they didn't believe that white people from the north would kill their white brothers from the south they didn't believe that that would happen they knew they were outnumbered and Mm -hmm. uh in many instances the only reason the only reason the the union won many battles is because Grant was willing to sacrifice. He had so many more soldiers to sacrifice. I mean, not just at Shiloh, you know, or or Vicksburg, but particularly, you know, in Virginia, battling uh, Lee's Army of Northern Virginia. Grant was suffering tremendous losses in many of those, you know, battles, you know, Petersburg and other places. And... They, he just had the manpower. He just had the manpower that he was willing to sacrifice. And, you know, that it was just sheer numbers. And so Jefferson Davis and those never believed that white people would kill each other at the way they did. But they did. Now, what is the situation now? Would that happen now? I mean, I, you know, that's. Because what happened in the Civil War is, see, all these people were in the U.S. military. Stonewall Jackson, Robert E. Lee, all these guys were in the U.S. military. That's why you have military bases of Fort Bragg. Uh, mm-hmm. I forgot the guy's, guy's name now, a, a, a cowardly general, Fort Bragg. You know, the, he, was, he was in the U.S. military. They joined the Confederacy, right? All of them were in the U.S. military. And so the military, you know, split, but, but, uh, you know, the North, particularly after the, you know, 200 and, you know, 50,000 black soldiers were thrown into the mix, had an overwhelming manpower advantage. Uh, but so can you use that as a comparison to the day? I mean, you know, that's. Well, I mean, back then they were able to defeat the South because of the black people that helped them. And that's one of the agendas of the deep state now. If you know that there's a war, a civil war coming against you, the left and the right, then what do they do? They play to the side to get black people on their side by pushing this race agenda, mm. by pushing this in the media, by, 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 by making people believe that I should pick up this gun and fight against these white militias and Donald Trump. Mm. Well, this is this is this is this is very interesting. I know we're running short on time, and it's something that I think we should continue to pursue, you know, in our in our in our weekly uh, conversations, because this 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 is certainly very interesting, to say the least. Well, this has been another edition of the African Liberation Media podcast. You can always visit our website, AfricanLiberationMedia.com, where you can find all of our podcasts and all of our shows. And to tune into our videos, visit our YouTube channel, like, comment, and make sure you subscribe so you can always be notified when new videos come out.
check out our social media pages on facebook and instagram and you can also listen to us wherever you get your podcast whether it's spotify apple Podcasts, or our heart radio bb for hody a bb for hody a power or the lack of power i want to repeat this power or the lack of power if your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not job, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes, does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. Your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself. Then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.